cops or criminals today what i'm saying is this when you're facing a loaded gun what's the difference what's up everybody welcome to the podcast goes to weekly podcast where we talk about movies nominated for best picture at the academy awards this week we're talking about the departed from 2006 I'm Bob Klein, and I have here my trusty co-host, Matt DeGenero. Happy Father's Day, Matt. Happy Father's Day, Bob. I'm I'm so happy to be with you on this special holiday, especially given that you know, sometimes I think I consider myself sort of a father figure to you. Well, you were my Film 110 TA. You taught me... Not much. You were pretty shitty TA, but you definitely I definitely looked up to you for a long time, so That's just... because you were sitting at a desk and I was walking by you standing. <laughs> when you actually showed up to class. <laughs> oh, that is false. Yeah. I always showed up. I was getting paid. You were getting paid? I never got paid when I TA'd. Oh man, you missed out. I, I got paid. I just got credit. <laughs> credit I didn't need. <laughs> I didn't need that credit at all. But I, I didn't I got both. Lucky you, Matt. You just get everything in life. Just a disclaimer, we wished each other a happy Father's Day. I believe neither of us are actually fathers, in case anyone read into that <laughs> wrong. That's true. That's true. Not yet. Not yet. So what's going on, uh, man? You got anything uh, interesting going on in your life right now? Well, a couple interesting things. Number one, I am done with my movie. We have wrapped. That's a wrap! That is a wrap. So I'm done. I'm unemployed now. And it feels weird because I'm usually working in June. Like June is like the time of year where, where things are really kicking into gear for the summer months. And having moved to Atlanta where it's basically summer year round, we don't have to really adhere to that schedule because a lot of films like to shoot in the summer when the weather is nicer because it's easier. You don't have to worry about snow and whatnot. Um, and so like I'm usually working in June. So this feels like off and I don't, I don't really know what to do with my spare time. So um, last week I went to a, a, a book, a book talk and, and listened to, listen to a Lauren Groff talk about book. So like, <laughs> like you're that. like, I went to a book and I was like, a book, a book, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a, sorry, because I also went to a book club last week too. So I have a book club and then I went to a book talk. So a lot of book-related things going on. Well, you could just come up and visit me, Matt. So unemployed and so available to do things. We could do a, a, a show where we actually sit in the same room next to each other and do an episode. That would be that'd be interesting. I do eventually would want to do that with uh, maybe we'll do like a double feature Godfather or a triple feature Lord of the Rings because all three Lord of the Rings are all all nominated for best picture in consecutive years so that'd be fun um, have a little slumber party invite over all the buddies watch lord oh of the Rings. man <laughs> have all the super fans come come down like have like a, a reunion of sorts it'd be like a comic-con for podcast podcon podcon <laughs> podcon there's like, probably is a podcon i like where you're going with this so how does how does this all work do you are you actively looking for the next job or are you just happy to take a break and you're just kind of laying low until someone calls you with something i'm happy to take a break but the the thing is is the, the so basically 
I, I work freelance technically, but I don't. Because when I'm hired onto a movie, I'm hired on as an employee of that company. So I don't get 1099. I'm actually an employee of, um, like, uh, I was just working for Paramount. And so I was an employee of Paramount Worldwide Productions. I get paid with, with a payroll company, cast and crew, but still. So, like, when that movie ends, I'm essentially laid off, right? I mean, I, I go and claim unemployment and all, whatnot. But what's, t- what's tough is it, it relies heavily on networking. So it's sort of like reaching out to people you've already worked with and being like, hey, I, I'm free now. Because there are no classifieds that you can really go and look. And it, it, I, I'm part of a union, but the, the listings, they're kind of like, you know, no one's just going to respond to a rando email from you, stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of a lot of waiting around for people you know to tell you that there's a movie coming in, it's it can be a little bit nerve-wracking, especially when you're not sure if you did a good enough job on your last movie, to the point where, like, are they going to recommend you? Or are they going to forget about you? So, yeah, this is, like, the most stressful part of the job, is not is finding the next job. That's, that's an interesting, you know, insight, because as someone who's aspiring to be in the film industry, and, yeah, I make my own indie films, but I'm not in the film industry... It feels like the, you know, searching for that job and getting in is, is kind of tough. So you kind of affirm that for me. It's interesting. Speaking of film industry, you have to be in the film industry to make a movie. And we're talking about a movie here. The <laughs> Departed. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but let's just, nice. let's just, see, where, let's just see where this lands. <laughs> where so, will this segue go? This movie opens up. The opening title happens pretty far into the movie. We open the movie where they kind of show where Matt Damon's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters kind of came from and became. You you see, like, basically a quick intro to each character kind of alongside each other. So, and then it's like, okay, now these characters are set up. Let's start the movie. And they cut to the title card, The Departed. Do you know how long into the movie that was? It felt like 20 minutes. Yeah, so I looked at the time while I was watching it. That's the nice thing about streaming and not watching something in a theater. It's like, how long did it take? 17 minutes before they cut to the opening title wow. card. What do you think the reason for that was? Did that So that whole first segment was then considered to be an epilogue? Basically, because it's, it's all just establishing the, the characters as they are now in the movie. You you get where they're where they're from and everything. You get like their little, yeah. I guess epilogue is the word. You you, or, or prologue rather. Prologue, Sorry. yeah. Prologue, yeah. Epilogue's not the word. Yeah, the prologue. <laughs> and you know sometimes this happens where you get this to establish one character, but since this movie is really about two characters, they do it for both of them. And I guess it still would have been long if it was half of seventeen mm-hmm. minutes, like eight, you know, eight and a half minutes. 17 minutes before they consider the movie to start was very interesting. Yeah, that's so, so so basically it sets up this guy, Billy Costigan, who is going to be an undercover state trooper. And it sets up this other guy, Colin Sullivan, who is a, um, a mole who is basically part of this mob who's undercover in the police department. So you have like one guy who's a criminal pretending to be a cop and one guy who's a cop pretending to be a criminal, which is a a really cool, unique dynamic for a movie formatted or, or, or I should say revolving around Jack Nicholson's character, Frank Costello, 
who is loosely based on Whitey Bulger. Um, very loosely based on Whitey Bulger, I might add. But, like, so it all is, try, is about protecting him and catching him. And so you have, like, the cat and mouse uh, game. When I saw this movie in 2006, Bob, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I was into movies, but all these characters, I got so confused because they looked the same to me. <laughs> like, for me, like, Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Mark Wahlberg all looked like the same person. <laughs> I got really <laughs> confused. I guess it is tough and younger in their careers. I, I guess that's fair. I, I didn't feel the same way. This is one of the few movies on our podcast that I, I've seen before we picked it randomly for the podcast. And I, I really liked it both times. I thought this was a really, really interesting, really good film. Um, okay, so what, 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 about it, what about it did you like? Because I, I also enjoyed the movie, but uh, re-watching it, there were some things that I liked a little bit less than in 2006 when I was like a high school kid who really enjoyed like seeing people drop F-bombs every two sentences. You're following two characters. One's kind of a good guy and one's kind of a bad guy, but because of their roles, you have the, the Irish mob in Boston and you have, you know, Matt Damon's character is a good, likable guy in the police force working his way up the ranks, you know, you know, all the ladies love him. Whenever he talks to any woman in this movie, they're all like super into him at first. And so it's like, oh, I really like this guy. He's a likable guy. But he's technically some sort of a bad guy because he's helping out the the mob boss. He's he was he was put there from a young child that you see in the beginning where where uh, what's his name? Jack Nicholson's character kind of takes him in when he's super young and has no parents or anything like that and turns him into what he wants him to be. Then you got Leonardo DiCaprio's character who is sort of unlikable because he's doing all these horrible things, but yet he's the one that's actually trying to bring down the mob boss. So he's, it, it, it's a very interesting dynamic. So at first I feel like I'm, I'm with Matt Damon more. And then I switch to DiCaprio and I love how they cut back and forth between their scenes and they're doing similar ish things in different ways. And it's, it's very interesting. So I love the I love the characters. I love the story. I love the acting. I, I uh, the twist. I think it's a, just a really good film. Yeah. So off of that, it's interesting. I was that's exactly what I was going to bring up about the juxtaposition of uh, of those two characters. Is like Leonardo DiCaprio's character Costigan is trying to fit in with the the quote unquote bad guys. So he's like acting like an asshole. Like he's kicking the shit out of people. He's got guns. I think he shoots someone in the knee at one point. And so like, yeah, watching him scene to scene, it's like, okay, he's a prick. Matt Damon's trying to do the opposite. Like he's squeaky clean. So he is always being polite to everybody and he's becoming a good leader and he's getting promoted. And it's like, but he's the real dick because he's the one who's like the criminal. So I loved that comparison between those two characters probably the, the movie's strength for me but what's weird is when I watched it originally I thought that Frank Costello who's Jack Nicholson's mob boss Irish mob boss character I thought he was cool and I thought that the gangsters were cool and when I watched it this time I, I didn't feel that way I'm not sure what changed Frank I didn't find him funny I didn't find him cool. I found him to be like a scumbag. I thought he was awesome. I mean, I love Jack Nicholson in this movie. I think he was incredible. And I love oh, the yeah. I love the character. He just 
he's so scary at times like a typical mob boss like they're they're scary when they need to scare someone and then they're just charming and likable when they're you know charming likable and i just i really love that character and you know there there's some you know the first half of the movie before he starts doing really horrible things it's like you're kind of following him too as like someone you're kind of rooting for even though you shouldn't be yeah that opening scene of him when he goes he goes in to to save sullivan a little bit when he's a little kid and he gives him all the groceries but then, you know, in the same scene, he's threatening to beat up the guy who owns the shop. But, like, then he's helping out the little kid. Yeah, but and, then and hitting like on the making, shop owner's daughter, who's, like, 16. Yeah, like, making gross advances to the... Yeah, he said the, something awful to her, like, uh, you have your period yet? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, but Jack Nicholson was by far my favorite actor, or, or my favorite performance in this movie like just you could just tell by the but his presence in the scene felt as rat as erratic as the character is supposed to be like almost like even jack nicholson didn't know what he was going to do with his face or with his like body in the scene or what he was going to say it was interesting though because with matt damon's character you didn't really have a choice he didn't really have much of a choice he was kind of put into this position. He was young. He didn't really have any money or parents or anything. And, you know, this father figure comes in, offers him work and money and education and all these things. And he kind of pampers, you know, this character into who he needs him to be. Where Leonardo DiCaprio's character could have done a lot of different things with his life. He was really forced into it, but he was also the perfect person for this job. Because he wanted he- to be a cop. But he was—he didn't really fit the build of it. But but with his family ties and his like, you know, history of violence and stuff like that, he made just a perfect fit for this role as the undercover in in this organization. And Mark Wahlberg's character and uh, Martin Sheen's character see that immediately. They look at his record and they're picking it apart when he first goes to become a Massachusetts state trooper, and they're like, hey you shouldn't be a cop. You have all these mob ties. You have this violence history. You're a little unstable. You come from a rich background also. Um, So like stuff like that, they're like picking him apart and you're thinking, oh no, like this poor guy, he went through the academy and he's, you know, he's good and he's not going to get the job. And then they flip it and it becomes, you know, you're perfect to be this undercover guy, not a real, you know, just regular cop. So I, I found yeah. that really interesting. He was perfect for that part. Given similar circumstances, one person decided he wanted to be go clean and make a life of himself, and the other person was, felt like he was had, you know he had loyalty to the person who had helped him throughout his life, and so in doing so, he had to sort of become that person in, in a way. I thought where this might have been leading is that. Um, Costigan was gonna start liking being a criminal and like want to flip and vice versa where um, Sullivan was gonna sort of like being a cop and want to come clean and it never went it never ended up going there until the until the end Sullivan sort of sees that he needs to get out yeah I saw that in a different way but we'll we'll talk about that when we discuss the ending uh, but we mm-hmm. should we should call them by their their character names right I've been just calling everyone whoever I'm really bad at knowing the names of the actual characters i just call them their actor names i'm really that's why i love <laughs> that's why i love superhero movies matt i keep going back to yeah. this is like 
Thor is fucking Thor. I know he's not Chris Hemsworth character. He's fucking Thor. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Well, that's why I also like movies where you don't know who the actors are because you have to know their names. It's like when Star Wars came out, it was Luke Skywalker because you didn't know who this guy was who was playing him. Leo's character is Costigan and Matt Damon's character is Sullivan. We have Martin Sheen's character. He's the the captain, Captain, Captain Queenan. And then we have Mark Wahlberg's character is... Dignum. Dignum. Okay. So we're going to... That should be enough right now. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Mark Wahlberg's character? He plays the he plays the bad cop to Martin Sheen's good cop. Like, when you think about good cop, bad cop, you think about an interrogation. You arrest someone, and then there's this... They're trying to get something out of this person. They're manipulating. Here, it's just with their own people... These two guys are working the undercover unit in the police department, and they're, they're playing good cop, bad cop to a T. And I was like, oh, I've never seen good cop, bad cop used this way. It's very interesting. So Mark Wahlberg, he grew up in that area, and I watched a bunch of interviews about him for this movie. And he's like, yeah, normally I do a lot of studying for my films, and I make sure I have the character's motives down. I didn't do anything for this film. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I knew who this character was. He had a lot of, he, he claimed he had a lot of run-ins with the Boston police when he was growing up and he was kind of a jackass. And he's like, I, you know, I took this from all the policemen that I've, you know, I've interacted with in my life growing up. And this, this role was so natural to me. And he just he used that motivation of cops kind of messing with him all all his life and and took this character. I love this character. And that's why he was the only one nominated for an Academy Award for acting in this film. Right. Yeah. Ended yeah. up losing to uh, Sorkin and Little Miss Sunshine. But I'm surprised that Jack Nicholson didn't get nominated. Yeah, I thought he was incredible. So here's so here's the thing. I, so I worked on the the pilot for Martin Scorsese's vinyl which he directed and terrence winter who wrote a lot of sopranos and boardwalk empire wrote one of the things that struck me about the script for vinyl and which struck me rewatching this movie was yes they're portraying chauvinistic characters racist characters bigot characters but what what disturbs me about these roles and what disturbed me a little bit about mark Wahlberg's character specifically this time around is when you stop depicting the characters to accurately portray someone who is supposed to be seen as an asshole and when you start taking joy in coming up with these characters does that make sense where it's like it almost seemed to me like they were getting their rocks off having Mark Wahlberg come call someone a faggot or drop the N-bomb or like, you know, make that weird remark towards that girl in the beginning. It, 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 it takes something that's supposed to increase the, the authentic nature of the movie and turns it into something different. Watching this, like, I didn't really care if it was authentic or not. I just thought it was a cool character and I really liked it and it was an interesting take on his character and I think it really helped progress the story and the character had his own motives. You kind of understood where he was coming from and like, you know, it was a really awesome character. 
It was only until afterwards when I started watching things about it where Mark Wahlberg kept going in detail about how he, where he came up with this character. I'm sure in the script, you know, which Scorsese didn't write, but I'm sure in the script there were this character was an asshole regardless but he he took it to a whole new level that i you know his experiences i'm sure helped him a lot because he really <laughs> had a lot of run-ins with the cops apparently and hated yeah. them a lot very interesting i definitely want to go more in depth about the film but we are already at that point where it's time to pick our movie decade and matt i'm really liking being in current times so like let's let's keep it in like the 2000s or something. Okay, I will do my best. Next week, the podcast goes to the 1970s. Well, awesome. I hope it's an awesome film. I'm sure it will be. Well, I'm interested to hear, what are you watching, Matt? Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking, Bob. So, I saw the new Deadpool. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Okay. So, um, I thought it was better than the first one. Really? Very so, do you disagree? Before I give you my response, what what about it did you like so much in this this time around? Did you like the first one? Okay, yes, I really liked the first one, and I was super excited for this one. And maybe I'm just on like a positivity kick. Like that's that's a possibility because I was impressed Cause with Solo. Because you're unemployed right now, is that? What you're... <laughs> yeah, I'm like got a new lease on life. No, but like. Because I went through a batch of movies where I was just so miserable, starting with The Last Jedi, where I was like, you have betrayed me, and I will never trust watching a movie again. In my opinion, uh, the Jedi are evil. Nope, different movie. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> yeah, different movie that betrayed me. But um, so what I liked better about Deadpool 2 was better action sequences, um, more characters. Um, I, I'll, I think that the plot was... Um, a little bit deeper and um the humor was a little was not as great but i liked some of the setups and execution of some of the bigger jokes like the x-force joke which we won't ruin but like thought that was incredible <laughs> um there's so much i want to say about that but i really shouldn't yeah i know i know way more meta than the first one but i, I think they pulled it off and um but yeah, so what are your thoughts? That's fair. I I liked both of them and they're both very equal for they're they're close. They're really close. I like the first one better. For the Deadpool movies, I really like them. I think they're a good job. It's just I feel like they're still missing something over I, I don't know. It it just seems like they're both movies are kind of missing, I don't know, like an act or just a, a, a component. Uh I like them. I just feel like they're maybe a little overrated. And don't get me wrong, I really like these films, but yeah, I mean they're unique. They're they're R-rated yeah. superhero movies, and we've only gotten three of them. So we've gotten the two of those, and then Logan. So, I mean, there's there's still like a novelty to them. I see what you're saying about them being overrated. I think I think just for me, it's like I'm more of a space guy than a superhero guy. So I I always go into a superhero movie thinking like I'm not going to enjoy this as much as if it were taking place in outer space like you know what I mean like it's just like not my preferred genre so I'm, I'm usually left happier than I anticipated myself being so maybe that's why a movie like Deadpool works for me works for me what do you think what do you think is missing what do you think I mean I know it's like impossible to say but like what, what, I think we're I'm just so spoiled with the 
like the Disney Marvel universe that's been created. I don't know. They just they just have it together. Do you think that if it was part of the an expanded universe of some sort, that maybe it would have that extra dimension? Like if Wolverine was in it, or if they were to bring in uh, some other Fox, you know, bring in the Fantastic Four or something. I don't think it's because of the universe itself. I just think it's the the company behind making those specific films that are in that larger universe. I don't know what it is. I do like how they joke about not having the money to do things like that, though. Like when they go into the uh, the mansion, and they make the same joke twice. That's what I like about the this one is they they'll do repeat jokes which usually don't land in sequels, but they just mm-hmm. expand them where the joke is the same joke essentially, but they they just like commit to it and make it bigger of it like the joke gets bigger so for example mm-hmm. in deadpool one when he visits colossus at the xavier mansion he's like oh yeah we couldn't af- you know they couldn't afford to put any other x-men in this house so he's empty there <laughs> in deadpool 2 i found it hilarious that he's made the same joke and then in a room next door to them all the other like x-men we're there <laughs> and then they close <laughs> the door <laughs> i thought that yeah. was really funny so yeah props to them and props to ryan reynolds finally getting getting uh his work done yeah he's ryan been reynolds in a lot of bad it, movies <laughs> he does he does did you say for the post credit scene i did i did okay. that was wonderful yeah. so it, it, good for him dude he seems like a, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy i'm glad that he finally has he a is and he's he's awesome and super likable and i really like him and I really like him in this movie, but like he's had such a shitty career before. This. <laughs> he's like he's he's good, and he's been in some good movies, but he's been in a lot of bad movies. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's funny to hear him to like have him be like writing these scripts and be self aware of how shitty his career has been. Like how many jokes they make about him about Ryan Reynolds finally being in a hit movie, and it's like actors don't normally acknowledge that about themselves that's what's so refreshing about him that's why yeah he's just really is really self-aware you know the opening credits of both movies they don't put the actual people's names in them they just make fun of them like Mm -hmm. you know the producers some assholes with money you know like they just i I don't remember the exact jokes but i i I really like how they just don't take themselves seriously at all and they just make something that people really want and that's why they resonate so well yeah yeah exactly so yeah, that's that is all I had time for. Like, what with the book talk and the book club, and so I want to bring us into the Academy Awards that year. So I guess it would be the twenty two thousand seven Academy Awards. Ellen DeGeneres hosted this one. This is the first time she hosted, not the one where she took the selfie, but the first <laughs> time. And I thought she killed this Academy Awards. Do you remember this year at all? Oh yeah, she's a beast. So she hosted two times. There was this one, and then it was like two thousand fourteen. I think was the the other time she hosted but she's got nothing on bob hope who hosted the academy awards 19 times (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i really liked ellen so they had this opening at the academy awards and we'll talk about what the departed was nominated but i just i was so interested because this year is like a memorable you know year i remember watching the damn academy awards it was still in 4-3 if you can believe that oh my god yeah so it's so funny to me well 4-3 is like when you watch an old movie or anything and it's square image instead of like the widescreen image so it's, it's so funny you think 2007 you think like recent you know is what 11 years ago and like now we're into like 4k and you know hdr video and all that crap and it's like oh you know 
4-3 is so long ago, but it, apparently it wasn't. <laughs> this stuff happens so quickly. It amazes me. Yeah. But anyway, it opens up with this video where they have all the people nominated just make bragging jokes about being nominated and being better at everyone, including Alejandro Inaratu making jokes, which I didn't know he could do. Uh, Clint Eastwood was in it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was in it because uh, Pan's Labyrinth was that year. Uh, so this is really it was a really cool opening. It, it dragged on a little a little bit, and this segment was actually directed by Errol Morris, the documentarian. It was kind of funny opening, but anyway, it was uh, the Departed was nominated for five five Academy Awards, uh, adapted screenplay, best picture, editing, directing, and supporting actor Mark Wahlberg. It did pretty well. It won adapted screenplay. And you know who's adapted from? Yes, I've seen it. Infernal Infernal Affairs. You've seen this film? Yes, because so, I have worked with the director, Andrew Lau. Didn't he, like, wasn't he the DP for a lot of, like, War Kong Wai films? Yes. So that's awesome. I mean, that's, like, the epitome of Hong Kong cinema. So, yeah, Infernal Affairs was, I didn't see it, but it was, a, what, a 2002 film from Hong Kong? This was made in 2006. That's a quick turnaround. This must have been a beast of a movie that's crazy to me so i haven't seen it but you got to tell me like how was it i mean it was really good i mean the, the concept is is great i mean it's it's a really great concept were the movies really similar um yeah i mean they're similar even down to like the love affair that they that the two have with the one woman so that which which i which was an interesting subplot in the departed is that Sullivan is dating this psychiatrist and then Leonardo DiCaprio's Costigan ends up sleeping with her. Was that a necessary subplot in your opinion? So, yeah, I, I'm happy we're talking about this, even though I really want to talk about the Academy Awards, but yeah. Yeah. I felt like it was so, like they made it so, like I know Boston's not a big city, but they made it so small to the fact that they're dating the same girl it was like a little a little too much for me it was it was mm-hmm. it was almost like those things like it doesn't bother everyone but it bothers me in movies when things happen a little too easily the fact that they were dating the same girl and then things just kind of work out in the end too that way where like leo sends a clip uh uh those recorded conversations to matt damon and she sees the name because she moved in with matt damon's character Sullivan Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she plays it because she recognizes the name and finds finds that pretty interesting it was just like a little much for me yeah I agree and I I I mean I think that this is this this came about as a necessity to have a female character in an otherwise all white male cast to add a little bit of sexual tension it wasn't an all white male cast Anthony no. Anderson was <laughs> Anthony Anderson, who plays Detective Brown, is his name. Oh God! This is what I mean about the writing. This is what is cringeworthy to me. It's like that shit is intentional. Like I, I don't care what anybody says. Like the, this is like the old white men club writing these, writing these, and, and getting a joy from writing these movies. That, that well, that's, that's, how, that's how I feel a lot with like Tarantino using the N word a lot in his movies. I feel like it's yeah. something that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I get that impression. And with this too, you're right. It, you feel like it's something that they want to say all the time, these things, but they, they know they can't because of the so- society they live in. 
but it's mm-hmm. art. It's a movie. You can say whatever you want because it's fiction. And it, they, you know, they use it to kind of get away with things. So I, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, so going back to, uh, going back to Infernal Affairs, there's the same beats with the, um, the, the guy getting thrown off the roof and with the elevator doors opening and it turns out there's another, there's another undercover mob guy who shoots, um, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio equivalent in Hong Kong. So like literally beat for beat, all they did was adapt it into an American context. It wasn't adapted from a book. Like it was adapted from another movie. Another movie. And it wasn't a movie from a long time ago. It was a movie from a few years before. But it was also so it was nominated for Best Picture, which it won, and mm-hmm. um, I think well deserved. Considering the other movies that were nominated that year, I thought it really just you know it was it was no contest. Uh, it won editing, um, and what's her name? Shun Schoonmaker, Thelma Schoonmaker, uh, has been Scorsese's editor since like she was in NYU film school. <laughs> they worked on it's wild. They were working together for like at the time they announced it as 50 years and she's won three other awards on other Scorsese films. And Martin Scorsese won his first and only directing award. Hmm. So you have something to say about this, Bob. I can just tell this happened twice at this Academy Awards. It almost seemed like a freaking fix. So who do they bring up on stage to present the director award was Steven Spielberg, Spielberg. George Lucas, and uh, Coppola. So all three of them get on the stage and they do this little bit. I remember, I remember watching this bit live when I was a kid where they, they talk about how great it was when they won awards for directing. And then George Lucas goes, Hey, I never won. He's like, well, you don't know shit because you never won. Like they do this whole thing and then they present it and Scorsese wins. And I was like, all three of those guys are like really close friends with Scorsese. They used to be known as like the, the film brats or something like that. They're all like, uh, they're all like friends with each other, uh, including Mm -hmm. like De Palma and a few others. Uh, and they like they all showed each other their films as they were kind of you know up and coming and stuff like that. It was just interesting that it was almost like a lifetime achievement award that they gave to Scorsese, and like his three like best friend accomplished directors presented the award to him almost as like they already knew that he was going to win, so they right. planned it that way. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. Deserve, but also when they won best when they won best picture, you know who presented the award? Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he's in the movie <laughs> he opens the envelope and looks at it smiles and goes the departed <laughs> so it was a very interesting oscar year though i really i know i'm going on a tangent but i watched like every clip on the oscar website about this uh-huh. academy awards it was just fun it was just fun you know going back into it uh ellen degeneres walks up to scorsese at one point She's trying to, like, pitch a script to him and hands him the, the script as, like, a little bit. Like, hey, like, how's it going? Like, you want to do this movie? She's like, it's a cross between Goodfellas and Big Mama's House called Good Mamas. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, this was also the year that, do you remember this uh, song and dance number that Will Farrell, Jack Black, and John C. Riley sing? Yes. <laughs> 
where, where they sing Helen Mirren and an Oscar will be coming home with me. <laughs> and Helen Mirren won that year for the queen and she's like, she's all for it in the crowd, but they, they basically, Will Ferrell does a song number <laughs> where he just talks about how like his movies will never win Oscars and he should try and do more serious roles. <laughs> so that was, that was interesting. Also super memorable moment. The Inconvenient Truth won Best Doc that year, the Al Gore movie on global warming. Mm. And Al and Leo take the stage together to announce that the Oscars from that moment on will be going green. It's, it's interesting. That was in 2007, and people didn't really believe global warming was real. And we've watched a few movies that have taken place decades earlier and they've made global warming jokes and in fact i was just watching frasier which is from 1992 or three Fraser. yes i do watch frasier <laughs> and um and they made a climate change joke and so it's uh well just to think this was yeah 10 years ago they win a academy award for the documentary on it and no one no one believed this like you know except for a few people but like I remember I didn't I didn't buy it you know I didn't know the sign but like now it's like you know except for a few politicians <laughs> you know it's kind of common knowledge like everyone understands that it's real it's you know we're not moving fast enough so we're running out of time but I have so many notes on this Oscars so I'm just gonna roll through them okay <laughs> so beware so Forrest Whitaker won best actor this year for Last King of Scotland Leo was nominated for Best Actor, but not for The Departed. He was nominated for Blood Diamond. Excuse me. Alan Larkin wins for Little Miss Sunshine, beating I out... I think I said Alan Sorkin earlier. You you did, and I didn't correct you. I just thought it was really funny. Um, yeah, so Alan Larkin wins for Little Miss Sunshine over Mark Wahlberg and uh, G-Mon, or whatever his name is. I call him Digimon, but that's not right. Uh, the dude from Blood Diamond, who's awesome. Lead actress category, damn good. It was Helen Mirren, Judy Dench, Kate Winslet, Penelope Cruz, and Meryl Streep. Wow. <laughs> I mean, besides Penelope, who's she's great, but like the category, like Helen Mirren, Judy Dench, Kate Winslet, and Meryl Streep. God damn, Helen Mirren won for the King. Um, Jennifer Hudson wins <laughs> Best Supporting. I'd say the King. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Hudson she is the king too whatever um Jennifer Hudson <laughs> wins supporting actress for Dreamgirls and Abigail Breslin was nominated the girl from Little Miss Sunshine who's like an adult now and she was a kid yeah she was such a little kid and she's just sitting there with a smile on her face at the Oscars but even better is you know what one animated feature that year Happy Feet about penguins Happy Feet did, and not only did they have an animated penguin sitting in the seats celebrating that, <laughs> but George Miller goes up on stage and gives a speech. You know, he's so happy he won for Happy Feet. You know what else he made? Mad Max. He's the uh. guy who directed Mad Max, Fury Road. Like the <laughs> This guy, I, I like, it's so crazy to see this guy get up on stage and be so happy and take out a little plastic penguin and celebrate his win of Happy Feet and make a joke about how every man at the Oscars dressed like a penguin. But it's like, and then he, you see him again at the Academy Awards, you know, a, a bunch of years later for Mad Max, this crazy movie. <laughs> Same guy. He did, he did every Mad Max. He did all four. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess he did. It was the only one I saw and I hated it, but 
the mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll go into that another time. Maybe we'll get it one year, um, which I hope we don't because I Maybe. really don't want to watch it again. Um, so Happy Feet <laughs> beat out Disney Pixar's Cars, which is by far the worst Disney Pixar movie ever. Pan's Labyrinth that year, it did not win Best Foreign Film, but it did win Cinematography, Makeup, and Art Direction. So that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest Oscar snubs. Not only that it didn't win, but that it didn't get nominated for Best Picture that year. Yeah, it was just so interesting that a film nominated for foreign foreign film was nominated for so many other categories and won three of them. So was able to win three uh, categories outside of foreign film and still not nominated for actual like best picture was really strange to me. And then not even winning foreign film, some German film one that I've never heard of. So that was pretty crazy, but that kind of, you know, awesome for Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Apocalypto also, I think a snub wasn't nominated for best picture that year. Thought that movie was Mel Gibson's awesome. best movie. Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, uh, and just a masterpiece. That film like is just great. So underrated. Like not enough people talk about Apocalypto. You know what took home visual effects this year, Matt? Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest. Whoa, is that the first one? No, no, that's it's the second one. It's the second oh, one. Oh wow! Yeah. I thought the second one, I don't know if you remember the second one, but it it's uh, towards the beginning. There's that scene where they're all trapped on that like cannibal island. That that whole scene, it's got to be like, I don't know, 20 minute long scene in the movie. It's I think the best 20 minutes in all of cinema. No. <laughs> when they're escaping the cannibals and just running away from them, that whole movie. I love I love that part. The rest of the movie is like, eh, you got like Davy Jones, Squid Man. It's kind of weird, but uh, yeah. I really I really enjoyed that part of the movie. <laughs> Just like the physics behind all the weird crap they're doing, I think it was really funny, and they're all running from the cannibals. Pretty awesome. So yeah. this was also the year of Dreamgirls, because Jennifer Hudson won. But what I found really funny was that for best song, original song dream girls had three songs nominated and didn't win three out of the five yeah three out of the five were from the same movie do you call that splitting the vote or what (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah so some song from inconvenient truth got in there and got got the win but like there's no way if you only (laughs) nominated one dream girls song i don't care which of the three it was that had to win right Oh, yeah, for sure. The fact that it was beaten out by a documentary theme song. (laughs) What? About global warming that no one believed in back then. Yeah, so crazy. So crazy. Poor Dreamgirls. That's like when Kanye West was nominated for Watch the Throne and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy the same year, and they split the votes. Yeah, you keep talking about that. Yeah. So overall, just it was really exciting to revisit this Oscar year because I actually remember watching it. It was kind of when I, you know, I was never really, I never really knew that I was trying to be into like movies and film and stuff like that. But this year, it's funny, after watching the Academy Awards, I didn't see most of these movies, but I own most of these movies now on DVD, like Children of Men, for example, Little Miss Sunshine. You know, a lot of these movies from this year, I just, I was so interested in the Academy Awards that I went to Blockbuster and bought like 
most of these <laughs> movies like the you know the cheaper versions where they were rented out for a while and then you buy them for cheap oh and they, yeah they have scratches all over them so i have a lot of these blockbuster versions of like all these movies that came out this year uh Babel, which i hated but <laughs> so and chivo emmanuel lubeski lost for cinematography for children of men i just found it interesting that he lost and he didn't win an academy award when he was nominated because he won three years in a row because he won three in a row but he yeah he lost a lot before that i guess he lost so it's for just tree of life too i think oh uh, yeah it's just interesting seeing him lose when he's just won three in a row you know he's you know, oh yeah yeah he's he's an extremely extremely talented cinematographer my favorite better than richard dawkins <laughs> richard dawkins is a scientist <laughs> Deep, the deep greatest, dive joke. One of the those greatest intellectuals of our time period. He's not a cinematographer. <laughs> so I was saying earlier that I worked with Martin Scorsese. And what's interesting about him winning Best Director is my experience with him, which is um, you're talking about Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren is married to a director named Taylor Hackford. Have you heard of this guy? Nope. So he directed Ray. That's like his claim to fame. So oh, okay. he was nominated for Best Director for, for Ray. And so I worked with him and I worked with Scorsese. And there was such a, there was such a, a clear difference between the two. And the way I describe it to people is Taylor Hackford, Taylor Hackford is the kind of director who um, wants a specific apple. Like he wants Granny Smith apples in the background, on the counter, in the bowl, like in that seat, like he knows specifically which apple he wants. And Scorsese is the kind of director who wants 20 different varieties of apples there that day. So he can choose which one he wants to use when he gets there. And like, I'm not sure which directing style is, is better or deserving more of a claim. That to me, what you describe about the apples, I mean, I would, hate to work with a person that like yeah. is so picky and choosy i'd prefer to work with someone that knows exactly what they want they don't necessarily have to know exactly what they want i'd prefer to work with a director that didn't care what fucking apples were on the table if right. we're using the same analogy but is that lazy or just they don't really know what they want well like do you do you not know what your scene is supposed to look like until you get there or should you already know i just i know it's i know it's you know not my cup of tea, but I know a lot of directors, they kind of don't have it right there and they want a lot of variety and options and stuff like that. And again, it's not a style I like, but I, you know, it's, it's gotta be common. No. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like he can afford, like he's the kind of director who can afford to, to demand something like that because who's going to say no to him. So it's, it sounds spoiled then more than lazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like it's kind of like a David or Russell situation where like he doesn't know how to be a human being anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I haven't heard that many great things about him to be honest, but I I like to think that, you know, at the end of the day it's the movie that, you know, the movie that comes out that matters. Like yeah, it's nice to like working with people and stuff like that. And yeah, maybe he doesn't know what he wants on set the day of, but as long as it comes out good, I guess, you know to each their own like everyone has different like i heard about like clint eastwood for instance has like quiet sets and he doesn't call action he just kind of holds his finger up and they start and then they tail slate everything 
it's it's very quiet no one's talking everyone's like focused in on what they're doing and it's definitely an environment that i would struggle in but if his movies come out good then i guess whatever (laughs) you know like so it's interesting to dive into but i you know what you're saying i i've heard a lot of other people who have worked with him as well (laughs) scorsese he's uh eastwood eastwood is here right now shooting what some people think might be his last movie actually is it about some sort of war or war hero or true story? But he's so old that like his shoots are like half a day. I guess like, that's he doesn't nice. shoot more than like four to six hours a day because he's like a hundred years old. So does does it take a lot of days to make his movies happen, or is he? I don't think so. He it? just shoots fast. Like he'll just shoot one take. You know, a ninety-year-old horticulturist and a World War II veteran. Oh no, this is the same person, a horticulturist and World War II veteran, caught transporting three million dollars worth of cocaine through Michigan. <laughs> Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood, so that should be good. Michael Pena, I like him. Pena and Lawrence Fishburne, that could be good. You have me at Lawrence Fishburne. I know you said him last, but <laughs> yeah, right Fishburne's at the end. Great. Yeah, but on that note, let's narrow down our decade into a year okay next week the podcast goes to 1977 don't think i know any movies from 1977 but i am excited to explore them after this my people are out there they're like fucking indians you're not going to see them you're not going to hear about them except with me or captain queen you will not ever know the identity of undercover people Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good, she's tired from fucking my father. Without asking for too many details, do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. And we're back here on the podcast goes to talking about The Departed. Um, One of the central themes of this is father-son relationships. And it is Father's Day, and so a fitting movie to discuss. Bob, what uh, what do you have left to say about this movie? Right when you figure out that Matt Damon is looking for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is looking for Matt Damon's character. They're both looking for the rats, basically. So Sullivan's looking for... Help me out here. Costigan. <laughs> Costigan, yeah. Leo Costigan, Matt Sullivan, I'm going to call them. So, <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Yeah, it took me like a year to learn yours, Matt. Anyway, so, so okay, so now Leo's, he knows where, where um, the mob boss, Jack Nicholson's character, is meeting with the, the rat guy. So, he, he, the inside guy from the police. So, he goes and he follows him. Why is he following him? I get he's trying to find the guy who's the mole who's in on the police department. But I just think about Jack Nicholson's character knows Leo's character, Costigan. So, like, if he if he gets spotted by him, he's like, why are you following me? Are you the guy, you know, <laughs> are you the undercover yeah. cop? So like you're 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 wondering, like, why doesn't why don't they have another undercover who can do stuff like that? Yeah, when you follow someone, you shouldn't be someone who can be recognized by people who are there. <laughs> He's in the same goddamn movie theater. Like, and when you know what someone's face looks like 
and you look quickly and you see it, you automatically, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So here's a better question. Was that Jack Nicholson's penis? Definitely not. Definitely not. But was it supposed to be a real penis? Yeah. Okay. okay. But it was, it was, it was a hundred percent fake. It was, right. there was, there was no way fake. that was effectively, but I think in the movie it was supposed to be. Okay. I, I always thought it was like, it's supposed to be a dildo or something, but then he never like wiggles it. So I'm like, is that Yeah, he would have threw it at him or put it on his face or something like that. If, <laughs> if it was knowing his yeah. character. Okay. Uh, but that was, that was an interesting scene where <laughs> he just pulls out his dick and like, <laughs> he's like moaning and groaning. Matthew yeah. His character's like, what are you doing in public? He's like, I own this theater. <laughs> oh yeah. That was kind of weird. So, and then, that, and then DiCaprio's watching the whole thing. Yeah, DiCaprio's watching the whole thing to to finally figure out who the the guy inside the police department, the mole inside the police department is. So then he follows Matt Damon after this. Sullivan. <laughs> I'm getting it. I'm getting it, Matt. By the end of the episode, I'll have it for next week, whatever 1970 movie we talk about. So Costigan follows Matt Damon's character. Matt Damon's character, Sullivan, figures out that he's on to him, and he hides. And then he stabs this, like, dude that works at a Chinese restaurant or something. Yeah. He stabs the Chinese guy. And that instant is where I was following Matt Damon's character and I was rooting for him. And that's when it changed. Once he did that. He suffers no ramifications from stabbing that Chinese guy, like, whatsoever. He just kind of did it and ran away. I don't know how they would have caught him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have, but it was just, like, weird. Like, no one, it's just, like, a Chinese guy gets stabbed, and there's never, that's just, it's never thought of again. Yeah, so it didn't bother me because the mob was getting away with so much murder and being able to hide everything, and he's part uh, yeah, of the mob, yeah. technically. So I didn't see, you know, a murder in the middle of an alleyway where there's no one, you know, no witnesses or anything. Guy just gets stabbed, and then he runs away. Like, it wasn't so. But that was the moment that it all changed for me. Later on... They figure the police department figures out that there's someone inside the police department that's tipping off the mob boss and they hire Sullivan to look for him, who is the guy. He is them all. Right. That made no sense to me, because when you're when you know there's a corrupt cop in your in your precinct, you don't hire one of your cops to find him. You get internal affairs to do that, right? Yeah, none of that made any sense to me. It and like, not to mention, like, the last thing you would do if there was a rat is announce to everyone in the department that there's a rat. Yeah, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. And he's like, it's a cool dynamic. He's like, oh, I got to look for myself, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that's a funny line and everything like that. But at the end of the day, if, like, if you're looking for a corrupt cop in your in your organization, you don't go within and hire one of your own people randomly that you choose that you think isn't the guy. If you could just go on assumptions alone, then you'd know who the guy is. Yeah. He was like, Hey, there's, there's definitely a, a, a rat in the department, but we really like you. So like, you're definitely cool. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, Hey, the guy who made himself the most likable and most trustworthy, what are the chances that he could be the rat? <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. And then like, I, to, to be honest, like it really didn't need to, it didn't need to be that way for the, for the plot to churn forward. It could, it could easily have just been them looking for each other without there being a command for them to look for each other. You know what I mean? 
And it might have even added a, another layer of pressure if someone else was looking for Matt Damon in the department and he had more pressure. Yeah, and like he had to be covering his tracks, but not from himself. Like, you know what I mean? There, there was no like... And there were other moments like that, too, where I thought the stakes were going to be higher, and they never were. Like, um, there's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio is the only person using a cell phone within, like, the confines of this warehouse, and everyone else has supposedly had their cell phones turned off. And I thought that Matt Damon was going to be able to trace to the specific cell phone that it was that it was that guy's cell phone. And then, like, they were going to be like, dude, why was your cell phone on? You were supposed to turn him off, and he was going to have to weasel his way out of that and then that never really happened either yeah i guess maybe the since they were using these shitty flip phones maybe the technology wasn't where we think about it now um but i really like that scene that's the scene where they do that deal with the chinese for the microprocessors or they sell them fake microprocessors i guess yeah it is like in this country we don't bring automatic weapons to deals <laughs> in this country you show us the cash and we show you the product i i thought that was a really cool scene yeah and again another thread that's never fleshed out you never see the microprocessors again after that so like that mystery is never solved yeah you don't know where the actual microprocessors went but you hear about the chinese guys getting arrested yeah for having fake one and having fake ones in their boat <laughs> yeah 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 mm-hmm. that was interesting but that that scene was pretty interesting and i like the tension with matt damon is standing next to um the captain and his boss alec baldwin's character and he's standing in between them texting costigan or not costigan uh costello you know turn off your cell phones and do this he's tipping them all off while he's standing in between the captain and his boss you know like like in his pocket and that shot of the phone being like texting in the pocket. I thought that was really cool. It was a really cool sequence. Yeah. uh, This is, I mean, it's a credit to the, to the editing too, is when the tension is raised by literally watching someone type on their cell phone. I mean, how often do you get like a tense moment with an extreme close up of a cell phone in a pocket, but like, that's where, that's where this movie took us. And, um, really the only action comes in the last act of the movie when everyone is sort of realizing who everyone else is and people just start getting picked off yeah it really that's what's interesting about this and the first time watching it i wasn't so happy with how it all played out you know normally you know you get a a death earlier on and they're more spread out but everyone just dies like at the very end of this movie. And it was mm-hmm. like, I guess it was too much for me to handle. Cause I, you know, I was attached to all the characters when I first watched this as a kid, it was just yeah. too much for me. I liked most of the movie and then didn't like the end, but this time watching it, I really liked the end. Yeah. Same here. I was kind of bummed that, that the character I was rooting for and rooting against both lost. <laughs> like no one won. Yeah. But before we really dive into that ending, there, there was another moment that kind of, threw me off so matt damon's looking for himself and then so we have the he he decides to have the police department tail captain queenan so he can find costigan leonardo DiCaprio's character now i'm just gonna say both of them because i probably confused our whole audience so (laughs) so a bunch of things arise one how does the police captain not notice that his own police officers are tailing him 
when he's going to an undercover meeting and should be looking for people tailing him anyway. True. He even says, there's no way I'm getting tailed. And you see him looking back and stuff like that. And it's like, how do you not notice the people in your own fucking department? <laughs> so that was a little weird to me. And then after, you know, and then that, you know, the tragic scene where they, the, the gangsters throw uh, the captain over the roof and kill him. And then there's the shootout with the cops that's when things really get real. The stakes really get yeah. high. And a uh, direct copy of Infernal Affairs. I did watch a side-by-side -side scene <laughs> of both movies. <laughs> nice. Except they had, like, slow-mo and flashbacks in the Infernal Affairs. But anyway, after that all happens, how do they not immediately know that Sullivan is the rat, the mole, in, inside the, the police <laughs> department? Right? Why would you be tailing... The captain. And now the it, captain's dead. <laughs> during his meeting, like when he was trying to meet up with the undercover cop. Like, isn't yeah. that so obvious? And no one, not even not even Mark Wahlberg's character. Well, I guess he figures it out by the end. But, yeah. <laughs> like, how does he not, how, did, how does no one pick up on that? They're like, oh, yeah, you were just following the captain. And then there's this brutal shootout <laughs> right afterwards. That doesn't ring, like, doesn't ring any alarms at all. Yeah, that's true. Like they're like, why are we? Why are we doing this? Why are we trailing this guy? And then they, they're finally like, fuck this! I'm going in and like start the shootout. But there's, but then after that, they don't really. It doesn't really register with them that maybe. Or yeah, even his. Weird about that. Yeah, there's the scene after where they're, where it's Mark Wahlberg's character and Alec Baldwin's character are confronting him about it. Like, why were you telling him? And they didn't yeah. come to a conclusion at that moment. Like, hey, like, you're the guy, or at least maybe you're the guy. Yeah, so there were some, like, failures of logic there and to in order for the plot to keep running because they were all just auxiliary characters, so they weren't going to be the ones to make the, the connection. Like, no one ever makes the connection. Sullivan, Sullivan is the only one who makes the connection. And only he doesn't even make the connection in the end. He even believes him when he gets the phone call. And Sullivan calls him and is like, hey, yeah, yeah, I found your cell phone. I'm a good cop. Uh... You should come in. It's like, that That to me would have been like, holy shit, this could be the mole trying to flush me out. Maybe well, that's what, the scene, that's what the scene was originally, because he calls them, neither of them talk, because they're like, okay, I know who's on the other line, and I don't want to you know, give myself up, because we both know mm -hmm. who, we, who each other is. And then Costigan hangs up, and then Sullivan calls him again, and then he plays that role. I guess, but he uses, like, Costigan uses Sullivan as the conduit into the de department from then on out because he texts him status updates of that last deal that they're going to do. And the only reason that Sullivan helps him out is because he finds out that, um, that Costello is an FBI informant. Sullivan's character finds out about the FBI informing, which, which Costigan finds out about, you know, before that. And he's like, okay... Apparently, I shouldn't be loyal to Jack Nicholson, the, the bomb boss, anymore because he can just sell me out whenever he wants, whenever it's convenient to him. I gotta look out for myself. <laughs> Sullivan was yeah. only about himself this whole movie. Didn't give a shit about anyone else. And he was like, okay, I might as well just take down the mob boss now before he turns me in. <laughs> right, yeah, it was survival. It was all about survival. Yeah, so... That's what happened. They they have the whole police department goes there, and then there's a shootout, and uh, Sullivan takes down the mob boss Costello, 
and all is good for Matt Damon. He now he can just live his life as you know a nice, well-established cop. <laughs> he doesn't have to work for the mob anymore. He can just live his life. But oh no, <laughs> Leo sends tapes of him talking to him on the phone to his house, <laughs> and his girlfriend just happens to listen to them. <laughs> It all goes to shit. Yeah, again. very convenient. Very convenient. But it didn't need to be convenient. It didn't need to end like that. It didn't need to conveniently end like that. It could have easily ended in another way while ending the same way. But that's it's whatever. I mean, it was too cute. It was too cute of an ending. Yeah, so that happens. And then they meet up at that same place, which I found a little weird. It's like, why would you meet up in a private location about these things when you have evidence already? If you have the evidence, yeah. why don't you just go to the police department with the evidence and be like, hey, like, I'm in a place where I feel safe because the whole police department's here to back me up. I have these tapes right. proving that Sullivan is the guy. Take him away. <laughs> like, Yeah, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself at further risk? Yeah, instead it ends in that bloody shootout where Anthony Anderson comes in and the other cop comes in and then that cop shoots leo and anthony anderson <laughs> yeah. what a like horrible the guy you haven't seen in two hours yeah but anthony anderson's character officer brown you said which is just not mm -hmm. a great name um yeah that was the only death that really hit me hard no it wasn't <laughs> it was because all the characters had a little dirt on them and they were like these you know they all were kind of bad but Anthony Anderson was just a straight-up good cop, good guy, mm -hmm. likable character. <laughs> I know he wasn't a big role in the movie, but, like, he was such a good guy. And even at the end, mm -hmm. when he, you know, you know, he has that standoff. Leo has the gun to Matt Damon's head, and Anthony Anderson comes up there. And he's like, I have tapes proving that this guy was the mole. And he's like, that may be true, but you can't do this still. You know, he's like... yeah. You know, like, it's not important. You can't take, you know, the law into your own hands. You you know, I, I'm just, I'm going to be a good guy and do the right thing. And this guy was so good. And then he just gets shot in the head. <laughs> hey, man, that'll teach you. You just should be corrupt like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, my philosophy. So that one really hurt me. Yeah. Leo is the character that hurt me the most. I wanted to see him pull it off. But I guess that ending is sort of what makes it the classic. That's what hammers it home. The true ending to this film. Yeah. Yeah. So we finally got there. I know we kind of mansplained the beats of the story, but I just found it so interesting. But <laughs> I mean, the iconic end of this movie is just awesome. Just so awesome. So Matt Damon yeah. walks in. It's like he got away with it all. And then who's there? <laughs> Dignum. Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg's character who disappeared for the last half of the movie. You're like, oh, whatever. He's gone. Nope. He's there taking justice into his own hands <laughs> with his like uh shower caps on his feet and rubber gloves and just shoots Matt Damon in the head. I love it. I love it. Also great that like you have the pick of the litter with whatever memorable last line you want to give Matt Damon or Mark Wahlberg and all he says is just like okay like all right really <laughs> like that's it and then i guess shot she's like okay <laughs> he's like trying Love to that. he's trying to reason with him and mark Wahlberg's just like no i'm gonna shoot you i don't care i've yeah, already yeah. i've already put the shower caps on my feet we're good 
Yeah, it's a wrap. <laughs> so good. So yeah, really exciting. I was at a um I was filming a a bar mitzvah and they put this really nice dance floor down with like the and like you're not allowed to when people are setting up they they cover them sometimes mm. so workers walk across with like boots and stuff and they don't scuff up like a white dance floor or something like that and this one they did a little differently they gave all the workers those same type of boots things to wear like the shower cap things to wear over their shoes and one of the guys was setting up and i was like don't shoot that's all i said and he knew he immediately knew what i was talking about it's like yeah we've been oh, making more nice. kind of an we've been making mark Wahlberg jokes all day <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet it was so funny yeah it was great i've literally never seen that in anything else that that's another reason why it's so cool it's such a cool ending it's just like i'm a cop i know how people you know i know how people get caught I'm getting away with this. Like I, I plan this out and he's just there and there's just like, there's no way of, you know, there's no way you're going to pin this guy to this murder. And he just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, he does the wrong thing, but it's the right thing. It's, it's so, it's so magical. What a great ending. Well, speaking of endings, Bob, we need to wrap this up. Why? This, this it, can be yeah. our longest podcast, whatever. I have so much more to say, but I guess we'll wrap no. it up. <laughs> It's, it's next week rare when you get a movie you like you know true <laughs> maybe just for me so the nominee i'm done i'm done so next week so the nominees for next week's film are annie hall the goodbye girl julia a lot of like women themed <laughs> yeah what is this i don't know the turning point and star wars oh i've heard of that one that was a good one. I guess you have heard of him in a 1977 movie. After all, next week the podcast goes to Annie Hall. All right. Is that is that I one of the Woody Allen movies? That is a Woody Allen movie. I think that's one of Keith's favorite Woody Allen movies. We might have to get we might have to get Cabro back up in the podcast. Already three weeks three weeks in, three weeks after his. Uh... <laughs> is it too soon to have Keith back? I mean. According to SoundCloud, that was one of our most listened to episodes. Okay. All right. So maybe then maybe then we'll have another special guest next week, or maybe not. But we will find out on next week's episode of the podcast goes to.